The following sermon was preached in the Sunday gathering of First Baptist Church of Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. We pray it bears fruit in your life, and we hope that you share it with others who might also benefit. At the same time, if you're not already, we encourage you to join a faithful local church where you can sit under the preaching of God's word and observe the ordinances. Visit firstbaptistwr.com for more information. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would bless this time this morning. I pray you would stir us up to be on mission, this great commission that you gave to your church. Please make these words effective for building up this church so that you would be glorified in your Son, that many would find salvation in his name. Amen. So, First Baptist Church has been here a long time. As the name says, First Baptist Church is the oldest Baptist church in Wisconsin Rapids. Well, this church wasn't always here, and it wouldn't be here today without the efforts of American Baptist missionary C.H. Rust. It was in May 1903 that Rust came on the railroad to preach the gospel here in Wisconsin Rapids and plant this church. Rust was sent out and supported by other American Baptist churches who were well-established other parts of the country. And when some believed on hearing his preaching, then this newly sprouted church met in a railroad car, actually, until they were able to purchase a building under their first pastor, A.L. Putnam. From the beginning, First Baptist, this church took part in the same Baptist association which sent out Rust in the beginning to plant the church, the American Baptist Convention. Now, it's interesting to note that this church here in Wisconsin Rapids, in one way or another, can trace its roots back to five Baptist churches that formed an association way over in Philadelphia in 1707. Now, if you do the math, that's, uh, I think, about 69 years before the American Revolution, so 1707. Now, they organized and gathered together to pool their resources to better accomplish their mission as Baptist churches of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And one thing we know about these Baptists is that they were very serious about sound teaching. One of the first things that they did once they organized and assembled together was to help fund Rhode Island University, which was a school for the training up of pastors that had been established. You might know that school better by its modern name, its current name, Brown University. It's one of those Ivy League schools. A lot of those Ivy League schools originally started as schools for training up pastors. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all started as schools for training up pastors. These Baptists heavily invested in these schools of higher learning. So they were serious about sound teaching. And they also held to a robust confession of faith. The Confession of Faith is just a public statement summing up what they believe that Scripture teaches. And now, in substance, what they believe, that confession that they signed off on there in Philadelphia, these five churches who got together, it was the same confession held uh, across the pond, as they say, in England. 
This was the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. That's, that's this right here. We have copies of this in the back. This was basically the confession they held to. These Philadelphia churches uh, made some minor, very, very minor revisions. But for substance, this was what those Baptist churches held to. In an interesting point of history, Benjamin Franklin, that Benjamin Franklin, the guy on the $100 bill, he was the one who printed their confession of faith for them originally. Benjamin Franklin. And James Renahan writes that this is the most important Baptist confession written in the English language. Uh, both Northern Baptists and the Southern Baptists both held to it at, at one time, both under different names. In the North, it was known as the Philadelphia Confession. In the South, it was known as the Charleston Confession. But both, basically, this same confession here. Now, if you've read that, you've probably noticed it's a robust confession of faith. It's very comprehensive. They're very precise. The first American Baptists were very serious about theology. They were serious about good teaching. And they also wanted to be honest and forthright about what they believed. And so they published publicly, this is what we believe. And they were willing to defend that against anybody who would challenge it, they sought to hold to a confession of faith and hold each other accountable to that confession. But these Baptists were not only serious about sound teaching, they were also serious about reaching the lost, primarily through planting churches. In 1707, this Philadelphia Association started with five churches, around 500 members. By 1903, that's uh, just around 200 years later, the Baptist churches that took up the torch after them, they had begun to number over a million. So from 500 to over a million in about 200 years. And they reached Wisconsin Rapids about 1,000 miles away. So from the first, these Baptists were serious about sound teaching, and they were serious about spreading the gospel. Serious about preaching a true gospel and serious about spreading the gospel. That's part of our Baptist heritage. And by the 19th century, these Baptists were so successful, they formed national organizations in order to help support their mission, to go overseas, to support missionaries, to go to other countries and other places. The Southern and Northern Baptists actually split before the Civil War uh, over some of the division in the country at that time. So the Southerners at that time formed a separate convention known as the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845, and that's the convention of which this church is now a member, Southern Baptist Convention. In a little bit of history, more from this church. This church, First Baptist, left the American Baptist churches, which was the Northern Convention, because the leaders of that association had begun to refuse to exclude from membership churches which supported homosexuality, so-called homosexual marriage, and even clergy who practiced homosexuality. In those Churches which supported those things or refused to condemn those things were taking over leadership in the convention more and more so that it looked like there would be no stop to this and they would win the day. So the Southern Baptist Convention, which First Baptist is now a part of, professes to hold to the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, which is on our website. 
Now, I want to say that Baptists have been confessional people from the earliest. What I mean by that is that they've sought to make an honest and open confession to the world about what they believe Scripture teaches. They openly published their faith, they were confident in it, and they welcomed anyone to challenge it because they were ready to defend it. They believe that Scripture alone contains the inspired and written words of God, and yet they saw fit to write down in their own words a public confession of faith of what they believed Scripture taught. In line with that tradition, First Baptist Church has a statement of faith in our Constitution. That is, First Baptist summary of what we believe Scripture teaches. Now, it's not quite as extensive and robust as, as this one right here. It's much shorter. But I want to spend the rest of our time today going through and preaching through that statement of faith. Those who founded this church in 1903 claim to believe this is what the Bible teaches. So what I'm giving you today is your confession of faith. I didn't write this. This was in the Constitution before I got here. So as we go through this, I want you to ask yourself, do I believe this? Would I sign off on this statement of faith? So with that, we'll just go through this statement one line at a time. It starts out, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It's a good start. You might notice uh, echoes of the Apostles' Creed there. This church believes in the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. We believe in a God who made all things while he himself is uncreated and eternal. He's God with respect to his nature. He's Father with respect to his person. He is almighty. He's all-powerful. Nobody can stop his purpose. He needs no help. He has all power at his disposal at all times. He made everything that exists out of nothing, by a word. That's what this means. If you're a member of this church, you should believe that. Next, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, sent from the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified, died, and was buried. Now again, in that next half there, it's hard not to pick up on language from the Apostles' Creed. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, crucified, was dead and buried. And these Baptists who started this church believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Not just a Savior, but their own personal Savior. Now, I don't mean by that that they made up their own personal Savior, their own personal Jesus to believe in from their own imagination. But they believe that they must believe in the biblical Jesus for themselves. Your faith can't be your mother's faith. It can't be your father's faith, your sister's faith. It can't be your friend's faith. It has to be yours. You need to believe in Jesus yourself in order to be saved. And that faith must be sincere. They also believe Jesus was their Savior, which implies that he came to save them from something. This implies that Jesus came to save us from our sins. I think it would be a good idea to make salvation from sin more explicit in your statement of faith. But I think we give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that's what's underlying this whole confession, salvation from sin. So do you believe you need a Savior to save you from your sin? That you have no hope of eternal life by your own working? That there is something wrong with you in your heart? And your only hope is a Redeemer to save you from your sin? 
and to raise you from the dead. If you're a member of this church, you should believe that. Do you also believe that Jesus is Lord? That means he's king. It means you believe you should do what he says. That he has commands that he's given us, that he has authority over us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, If Christ died for us, then we should live for him. We are under the law of Christ. Do you believe Christians are to obey Christ as Lord? The next phrase, sent from the Holy Spirit. It's a little different language. I tried to think of a place where Scripture used that kind of language. I couldn't think of anything. In John, Jesus speaks of the Father sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks of He Himself sending the promise of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary, crucified, died, and was buried. If that's what they mean, I would agree. Do you believe all that is true and that really happened? We all should as Christians. They go on. Arisen on the third day, now interceding on my behalf, finally returning again to judge all men and to take his own with him in a heavenly relationship which will last forever. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe Jesus is praying for you? That's what it means when it says he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. Scripture says Christ lives to make intercession for those who believe in him. Hebrews 7.25, Christ is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you. That should comfort you, believer. And do you believe Christ is going to return bodily on the last day? That some will rise to life and others to judgment? Do you believe Christ is returning in the flesh to judge the living and the dead? And that believers will live with him forever and receive eternal life? This church claims to believe that. Moving on. I believe in the Holy Spirit who is able to lead me in the interpretation of the Bible which is the sole source and guide for my faith and practice, and who is able to guide and help me through the problems, joys, and opportunities of life. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? That's the third person of the Trinity. The Father is the first person. The Son is the second person. The Holy Spirit is the third person. Do you believe in Him? Do you believe the Spirit lives in you, helps guide you in your interpretation of the Bible? Psalm 119, 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. The Spirit helps the believer to understand those things that are plainly written in the text of Scripture. And do you believe, as they say, that Scripture is the sole source and guide for your faith and practice? Do you believe that? Or do you believe with some other Christian traditions, you believe that the traditions of the church, decrees of councils, creeds and confessions, decrees of the Pope, have an authority in themselves on par with Scripture. Baptists do not believe that. Baptists have always used creeds, used confessions. 
They've been informed by traditions. They've used other pastors, other scholars and teachers of the word to help inform their understanding of Scripture. But they've always held that those creeds and confessions only have authority as far as they accurately teach what Scripture actually teaches. In other words, they are subject to Scripture. They must stand on Scripture to have authority in the church. Scripture alone is the inspired word of God and an authority in himself. And no other words have that same magisterial authority for our faith and practice. All these other words are underneath Scripture in authority. But that said, we should submit to teaching that accurately conveys the meaning of Scripture. We should obey truth wherever we find it. Otherwise, when I get up here on a Sunday and I tell you I move from reading Scripture to saying this is what it means, you should just plug your ears. Because what I'm saying isn't Scripture. (laughs) Moving on. Do you believe the Spirit is able to comfort and guide you and sustain you through every experience of life and keep you until the last day? Romans 8.16 says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So have you known that comfort of the Holy Spirit? Have you walked in the comfort of the Spirit? Have you known a God of all comfort who comforts you in all of your afflictions? As 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, you should believe that if you're a member of this church. Now next, and very importantly for a Baptist church, It says, I believe in believer's baptism by immersion unless one is physically or emotionally unable. So this is where we get to Baptist distinctives. Baptists are different from other denominations of Christians because they believe a person ought to make a credible profession of faith before a pastor or elder of a church baptizes them. We also believe that the correct mode of baptism is full immersion in water. That is, we put you in all the way and bring you back out. So, to reiterate, Baptists believe that the subject of baptism, the person being baptized, must be able to state for themselves that they believe and testify publicly that they have faith in Christ, that they believe he has saved them from their sins. They need to make a public confession of faith for themselves. And Baptists believe that the proper way to baptize is full immersion in water. So if you're a member of this church, you should believe that. And if you want to be a member of this church, you must be baptized on a credible profession of faith and in ordinary circumstances by immersion in water. There might be outstanding circumstances where that's not possible, but this is a Baptist church. We baptize by immersion. The statement of faith makes exceptions for those physically or emotionally unable. I think what they mean there is if you have a severe mental or physical handicap that makes baptism by immersion a threat to your life or your long-term well-being. It doesn't mean that if you don't want to get baptized in front of people that makes you nervous, you don't want to make a public profession of faith, therefore you don't want to do it. That's not legitimate. I do sympathize with that. I know it's not easy to profess faith in Jesus publicly. I know. 
I got baptized in a swimming pool in the heart of Minneapolis in a public park. It wasn't easy to give my testimony, testimony over a microphone of God's work in my life to save me. It was uncomfortable. Lots of people out there watching and listening. But we should not fear men. And Baptists believe Jesus commanded us to be baptized by immersion on a profession of faith. In Acts 2.38, Peter preached Christ. The crowds were cut to the heart. They began to beg him, what, can we, what shall we do? What can we do to be saved? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So baptism is that first step of obedience in the Christian life. It's publicly identifying as a follower of Christ in baptism. So baptism is a sign that you've been buried, that old life, that old man has died, and you've been raised to newness of life. You've put off the old man, and you've put on the new. It's not baptism, it's not the work of baptism that saves you, but it is a sign of the work that Christ has done in your heart to wash your sins away by his blood. It's a sign that you've put away your former life, that you've begun a new life in Christ. So Baptists believe in believers' baptism by immersion. We do not recognize infant baptism as a valid baptism. We respect those who do believe those things. We respect Protestants who practice differently. There are many other traditions and streams who do practice that way. And we just respectfully disagree. As long as they believe a person is justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, there are brothers and sisters in Christ we just think they're wrong about baptism. The last section. We believe in the church as God's unique institution for spreading his word. So do you believe the church has a mission to spread God's word? Do you believe the church is different from any other institution? Do you believe the spread of the gospel has been entrusted to the church and ultimately the church alone? We believe in the power of Christ to transform every man into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you believe that that old man in Adam, that sin nature, has been done away with in Christ? Moving on, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Do you believe, as Jesus says in John 5, 28 to 29, that the hour is coming in which all in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation? Lastly, Do you believe in the Great Commission as a command to every Christian and life everlasting to everyone who has sought to follow Jesus with his whole being? I think what they mean by that last part is that eternal life is for all who believe in Christ and who sincerely seek to follow him out of faith. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe the Great Commission applies to you? What is the Great Commission? That's what we read earlier as our sermon text, Matthew 28, 18-20. Do you believe that Great Commission applies to you? Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you believe that command applies to you? Do you believe that you are to support that mission in one way or another, according to your own calling, your own gifts, in one way or another? That Jesus gave that command to his church, and that is the mission which we are to be about. That is our purpose. And do you believe that you have a role to play in that, whatever it is, in your Christian life, according to your own gifts, according to your own calling? Church, we have a mission, a great commission given to us by Christ. And that mission is not child's play. It is the greatest work. It is the holiest business. There is no greater cause to give your life to. But why is that the case? Why is this mission urgent? Why is this the greatest mission? As I said before, what's underlying this whole statement of faith, even if it's not said explicitly? Why this mission? Why believe all these things? Why go through all this trouble to gather as a church, to put together all these documents, put together this statement of faith? Is it just a good tradition? We have to believe something. We all need religion. Why did C.H. Russ travel by rail all the way to Wisconsin Rapids where there was no Baptist church before? Why go and preach to those strangers? Why organize this church in 1903? Why take that risk of looking like a fool in the world's eyes? Why didn't he go do something else? Couldn't be easy traveling to a place you've never been and going and preaching the gospel to strangers. We have to admire him for doing that. Why did Jesus give his church this commission? Why is it his last words to his disciples are, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you? Jesus gave this command because of that same thing he said to some of his fellow Jews in John 8, 24. Jesus said to them, If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In other words, this mission Christ has given us is a life or death matter. Lives depend on this mission, eternity hangs in the balance. If you do not believe in Christ, you will not see life. If you do not believe the gospel, you will not see eternal life. Do you believe that all have sinned, that all are sinners, and apart from hearing the gospel and believing in the gospel, Nobody will see eternal life, but rather they will see eternal torment in hell. 
That is the context in which this Great Commission makes sense. We take our Baptist faith seriously because we believe that what people believe is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal importance. That's why we take doctrine seriously. Believe the true gospel. Receive eternal life. Joy at the Father's right hand forever. Disbelieve the gospel or believe a false gospel. Spend eternity in torment. This is why we preach. This is why we share the gospel. This is why we pray for our neighbors. All of it toward the end that God would be glorified. This is the greatest work. If you do not believe, you will not see life. And you can't believe if you don't hear. The church is God's unique institution for spreading His word. And this commission has been handed down to us. So like those first American Baptists, those who sent out the missionaries... The churches that sent men out to plant this church, let's follow in their footsteps. This is part of our heritage as Baptists. Let's take that message and run with it. Christ came down from heaven out of love to take our sins on himself, to die the death that we deserve, to live the life that we could never live, so that he could freely give us the gift of eternal life by faith and faith alone. Our neighbors need to hear that. This is our message. If Christ has loved us like this, then we should love others and seek to tell them this gospel of our salvation. We're not all evangelists. But we can, can all play a role in this great commission. Jesus said in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So as I've been saying, start by praying. Start by praying. Ask God that he would give us this kind of fruit. That people would hear the gospel and be saved. Pray toward that end, that God, God would be glorified. And then go out in your own life, whatever you're about, Go out expecting him to do so, to open doors and be willing to walk through them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if that's so, then how much more should we give our lives so that others can see life and know that eternal life which we've come to know in Christ? Father, please give us grace, work in us, prayers toward that end and change our hearts so that more and more that we're on mission for what you're on mission for to bring people to Christ that they would see eternal life please be with us father we pray this in Jesus name amen